Hey, I'm Caleb Howard, and welcome back to Tales from Sacred Texts. This podcast tells stories from the holy books of major religions that will have you asking, was that really in the Bible? Today's story is Elijah the Tishbite, and we'll find out how to deal with not having enough food, how to ridicule your opponents from other religions, very important, and how to get superpowers. So, without further ado, let's get into the story. Israel was having a horrible day. That weird prophet was here. Ahab hated prophets. They always came and told him he was doing the wrong thing. And being an ancient king, that was really his least favorite thing to hear. Worst of all, this prophet had just told him that there would be no rain until he, the prophet, said so. That was insane, right? At least that's what Ahab tried to tell himself. Somehow, the prophet had managed to get away. Ahab really hadn't been sold on killing the prophet either. Bad things always happen to the guys who tried to kill prophets. One guy had his hand paralyzed and his altar broke apart. So, Ahab, knowing all these stories, was pretty hesitant to just randomly kill prophets. He wasn't going to risk that, at least not yet. This guy who came into his throne room was probably just a loon. He had just announced to Ahab in his court that he had power over the weather, which was ridiculous. This prophet, of course, was Elijah, and his first priority was getting away from the king before stuff really went down. God told him to hide by the brook Kareth, and that really went well for a while. At first, there was the problem of food, but Raven started bringing him bread and meat twice a day, and he'd have eaten better than he had in his entire life. As for water, he could just drink from the brook. Unfortunately, stuff started to change. The brook went from a rushing torrent to a stream of water to a small trickle and finally just to a few drops here and there, a few stagnant pools at the bottom. Elijah didn't really want to drink the water anymore, and he knew that pretty soon there would be nothing left to drink. Elijah started to worry. Meanwhile, Ahab was worrying as well. For the first couple months, it was easy to put the prophet's words out of his mind. He told himself, It's summer. It never rains in summer. But then the summer passed and it still didn't rain. The rainy season started, or what was supposed to be the rainy season, but there still was no rain. This was when Ahab started realizing that this prophet might have been telling the truth. Ahab started sending out soldiers, first to the nearby towns and villages. How far could the prophet have gotten? Then to the remote corners of Israel, and finally to the kings of other countries. He thought that if he could just capture Elijah, maybe he could persuade or make him reverse whatever this was. Wait, what? Are you kidding me? The widow looked incredulous. Elijah sighed. How could he make this any clearer? Yes, 
He was asking for her last food in the world. Thank you very much. The woman shook her head. How rude. Everyone was suffering from hunger, and here this guy was, trying to beg from a widow and her starving son. Elijah figured the conversation would go in this direction, and he countered with a promise. If you do, Yahweh says you'll never run out of food. So, you're a Hebrew prophet? The woman looked at Elijah and shook her head. Yeah, Elijah said. He would have explained, but he figured the ragged clothes and talking about Yahweh would have given it away. The woman looked at him again. So then, why are you here, not only far away from your own country, but in a place where literally no one else serves Yahweh? Elijah didn't know. Yahweh had just told him to come here, so he came. This must have been a very awkward interchange. I'm assuming this woman must have been a worshiper of Yahweh because she was so willing to believe the prophet, she ended up giving him her last food in the world, and apparently God saw fit to send Elijah here rather than to anywhere in Israel where there were apparently 7,000 people that had never once worshipped Baal. True to Elijah's word, the food did not run out. There was always a little bit more oil left in the jar and a little bit more flour left in the bag. They lived here for many days until tragedy struck. The son of the widow became sick and died. The woman was furious. I took you in, I gave you my last food in the world, and you decide to punish me for all of that by killing my son? The woman thought that the death of her son was Elijah punishing for her for her sins. The belief that God punished people for their sins by killing their loved ones, killing them, or causing them pain was fairly prevalent in this time period, and this theme will reappear both throughout this story and throughout the Christian Bible. There's always appeals to God along the lines of, I served you, God, and you did this to me anyway. Elijah started crying. He didn't know what was happening. God had sent him to this widow and then her son died. She had offered him her last food on earth. And then God allowed her son to pass away. Elijah took the body of the boy upstairs, prayed, and he stretched himself over the body of the child three times. Here he prayed for God to let the child's soul come back. And the boy revived. The mother was so happy. And she said, and I quote, Now by this... I know you are a man of God, and the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. To me, this seems really odd because they'd already been eating for what I can assume was several months. They'd been eating this divinely multiplied food, but it was only the raising of her son that convinced her that Elijah was a true prophet. But I guess that's how the story goes. This story is going to significantly ramp up as Elijah goes to confront Ahab, but before that, Let's talk about Anchor. Now, let's get back to the story. The man fell on his face before Elijah. Is that you, Elijah? What are you doing here? Yeah, it's me, Elijah said. Go tell Ahab that I'm here. Honestly, I don't even know why you're in charge of his house anyway. Obadiah was shocked. Wait, that's the one thing that I don't want to do. You could have asked me anything else but you have to ask me the one thing that's going to get me killed. What sin did I do? 
Ahab has already gone to every single country and made the rulers and everybody swear that you weren't there. If I go and tell them that you're here, the Spirit of the Lord will teleport you somewhere else, and then Ahab will get here, and he'll be so mad that he'll kill me. That's a nice boss, Elijah said. Obadiah shrugged. That's just how it was in ancient times. You really had to get used to it. Let me interject here. I love how ancient Hebrew prophets were believed to have the power of teleportation. So much so that the first thought of Obadiah wasn't that maybe Elijah would run away or something, but that Yahweh would just literally teleport Elijah somewhere else. Maybe this was the excuse Ahab gave for Elijah's escape the first time. He really had to tell Jezebel something about how that prophet had gotten away. If Ahab hated prophets, Jezebel hated them so much more. She wasn't a Hebrew, so she never got the whole hang-up about killing prophets. In fact, we're going to go on to discover that Jezebel is the real villain of this story. Ahab is more or less a coward who lets himself get pushed around, but he's nowhere near as cruel as Jezebel. Jezebel once decided to kill all the prophets of Yahweh, and she very nearly succeeded except for the bravery of one man, and that man happened to be standing right in front of Elijah. And that's where Obadiah was going next. Obadiah continued, I've always served Yahweh. You know what I did when Jezebel tried to kill all those prophets? One hundred prophets. I took them all and hid them in caves and fed them with bread and water. I risked my life. Show some professional courtesy here. I saved the lives of a hundred of your colleagues. Don't send me on a death mission. Elijah shook his head. I promise you, today I'm going to appear before Ahab. Yahweh told me that I was supposed to do this. He won't teleport me away. With this, Obadiah finally felt ready to go tell Ahab that Elijah was here. Ahab arrived a few hours later, attired in rich robes, riding a chariot, and surrounded by servants and guards, riding toward Elijah, standing on the ground in dirty, torn clothes. Is that you, troubler of Israel? Ahab accused Elijah. I haven't brought any trouble on Israel. You have, Elijah said bravely. You started worshiping the Baals. A little bit of trivia. Baal actually means Lord, and it was originally applied to people. From there, like the term Lord in our day, it became a title applied to gods. Some people think that the Baal Elijah was talking about here was Hadad or Ishkur, the god of rain. That would make the drought, proclaimed by a prophet of Yahweh, an insult against Baal. The population of Israel sat beneath Carmel. Had the one prophet of Yahweh really challenged the 400 prophets of Baal and 450 prophets of Ashtoreth, the fertility god, to a contest to prove whose god was the real one? It seemed like a bad idea. This was the point where Elijah stood up and addressed the people. Stop changing your minds, he said. Either Baal is God, follow him, or Yahweh is God, then follow him. But nobody answered. So Elijah spoke up again. Okay, here's what we're going to do. We'll each offer a bull as a sacrifice, but we won't light the fire under it. Whichever God can set the sacrifice on fire must be the true God. 
The people thought that that was an amazing idea. Elijah gave the prophets of Baal the opportunity to go first, and while it might seem generous initially, you just have to wait for what he says to these prophets. He was looking for a chance to taunt these guys, okay? The prophets of Baal started slowly saying a few prayers and stuff, but nothing happened, and they started getting more and more frantic. Oh, Baal, hear us. Hear us, oh, Baal. The prophets got louder and louder and leapt around the altar, hands in the air. Why wasn't Baal answering? After a while, they paused to catch their breaths, and Elijah thought that this was the perfect time to engage in some good old-fashioned ridicule. Okay, okay, guys, Elijah said. Hey, prophet of Yahweh, what's going on? Are you sure he can hear you, Elijah asked. I don't know, I'm just trying to help you guys. You seem to be having a hard time. Of course he can hear us. The prophets responded confidently, but then they looked unsure. Elijah pressed his luck. What makes you so sure? He's a god. Why isn't he answering you? You're not loud enough, that's why. Maybe he's busy or meditating or something. Maybe he went on a trip. Or maybe he's asleep. You guys better wake him up. The prophets of Baal thought that their religious opponent that was making fun of them was in the right. They decided to take the advice of a prophet of Yahweh that was trying to prove that their god was false. Good point, Elijah, they said. Then they started shouting louder, cutting themselves with knives and lances, which the Bible takes care to mention was something that they often did. Ancient religions were intense. Elijah kept watching the prophets of Baal, who started losing hope and began trying to set the sacrifice on fire themselves. Stop that! You're trying to light your own fire, you cheaters? Call on your God. He's all powerful, isn't he? Just a little louder. Cut yourselves a few more times and you'll have his attention. This went on all day. Finally, in the evening, they'd had enough. Elijah, still engaging in some general ridicule of the prophets of Baal, started to rebuild the altar of Yahweh and then dig a trench around the altar. What's that for? The people asked. Oh, water. What else? Elijah said. The people were puzzled. Water? Elijah looked back at the people. Yeah, just in case you guys have any doubt that it was Yahweh when this whole bowl is burned up. After twelve buckets of water were poured on the altar, filling the trench, Elijah was finally ready. It was late and the people had been there all day. No doubt some were expecting several more hours before they were finally able to go home, but Elijah just knelt down and only said a few words. God, please hear me, so that the people know that you are God and I am your servant. Instantly, fire fell from heaven and burnt up the altar, the stones, the dust, and the water. The people knelt, faces touching the ground, in reverence, and probably a whole lot of fear. Yahweh! He is the God. Yahweh, he is the God, they shouted. Elijah decided to capitalize on his victory. Kill all the prophets of Baal, he ordered, and the mob was more than happy to obey. The Bible says that Elijah executed them all, but whether this means that he personally killed each one of them or just ordered the people to do it is confusing. Likely the people did it on his orders, as there were 850 prophets that got killed, so I doubt Elijah was single-handedly killing every single one of them.
Can we have rain now? Who is that? Elijah looked up to see Ahab. What? Ahab looked back at Elijah. Yeah, everyone saw Yahweh as God. Now, where's the rain? Elijah replied, Go ahead, eat, drink, and celebrate, because rain is coming. Ahab looked at the cloudless sky, shaking his head. Oh well, the guy had been responsible for no rain for three and a half years, and fire incinerating an entire altar, so he'd give the guy time to work. Elijah was in no hurry. He finished disposing of the prophets of Baal, then went to the top of Carmel, bowed down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Here, we meet a new character, Elijah's servant. It's kind of odd that he hasn't appeared before. We haven't heard of him up to this point in the story, and we don't know whether he even traveled with Elijah, or was just a new addition, a new hire, upon Elijah's return to Israel. Or maybe Elijah's servant was working for him in Israel the whole time, kind of like an undercover agent. Go look at the sea. Elijah commanded his servant. The first time, the servant excitedly went to see the rain that Elijah had prayed for come across the sea, but he came back dejected. There was nothing. The second and third times, he was still excited, but a little less so. By the fifth time, he didn't really expect anything. The seventh time, he started thinking, why do we keep doing this? What are we expecting to see? He was getting really tired, and Elijah kept on sending him. How long was this going to happen? But this time, he saw something. He returned to Elijah, very excited. I see a cloud, half the size of a man's hand. Now, this was a tiny cloud, and I don't know why the servant got so excited over this, but apparently he believed that whatever Elijah was doing was working. Elijah looked at the servant. All right, go tell Ahab to get back to the palace before the rain stops him. The rain? It's only a tiny cloud right now. But by the time he got to Ahab, the sky was black, the thunder was booming, the wind started blowing, and the rain started, slowly at first, but getting heavier until it was a torrential downpour. Here, another superpower of the prophets is revealed as the Spirit of God gives Elijah the power of super speed, allowing him to run in front of the horse and chariot all the way to the capital of Israel, Jezreel, which is about 27 miles. Wow, you can do that? Ahab asked. Yeah, if God wants me to, Elijah replied. Okay, cool, Ahab said, not really knowing what else to say about a guy running faster than a horse. But that is not what Jezebel said. She sent him a messenger saying, I'm going to kill you by tomorrow about this time for killing my prophets. Elijah looked at the messenger. Wait, let's talk about this. Fire literally came down from heaven and burnt my sacrifice up. Are you sure you really want to risk killing me? The messenger looked at Elijah. I work for Jezebel. She's evil. She likes to kill prophets and servants of Yahweh. That's just what she does. She also wasn't a big fan of three years of drought and the slaughter of 850 of her prophets, if you really want to know. As a side note, I don't know why Jezebel didn't just kill Elijah instead of sending him a messenger telling him that she was about to kill him. Maybe she was a little worried about killing him after the support he'd gotten from the people on Carmel and didn't want to risk a popular uprising if she could just drive him away. If that was her plan, it worked because Elijah fled. Immediately. 
He headed south all the way to Beersheba in the southern kingdom of the Hebrews, Judah, which is where the name Jews comes from. This was about 117 miles, and he was exhausted when he arrived in Beersheba, but he left his servant there and continued another day's journey into the wilderness, where he collapsed and begged God for death. Elijah ends up traveling for another 40 days and another 261 miles, finally ending up at Mount Sinai. But that's another story where Elijah chooses his successor. We'll get to it eventually, but next week we're doing two stories from the biblical book of Judges, where two tyrants meet their downfall at the hands of women, and the men aren't very happy about it. Again, thank you so much for listening. Your support is really what makes this podcast possible. If you really liked it, please leave a review and subscribe. Scripting was done by myself, Caleb Howard, and music is by myself and by Anchor.